It's really fascinating to me to come down. This is my first time in Bogner, okay? So you have fields, you have this thing called nature that uh, is new to me. I have been in London the last seven months, and I haven't seen green space other than like little blades of grass along the, the road. And so it's great to be with you, but uh, this is my first time in, in Bogner, and tonight I'm excited to be at the Grace Center. Uh, how many of you guys are coming to that tonight? That's great. That's really cool to see. We're going to really dive into God's heart for the nations more there. We're not supposed to be talking about that this morning, but it's going to come out, okay? So I'm sorry if you're going to hear some things twice. I intentionally am not telling stories twice. So if you hear a story this morning, they're not getting that tonight, okay? Um, But really, there's things to celebrate that God is doing. And when Joe uh, Leach and I first connected, there was a, a real connection towards, hey, God should do that in our church. And so he came to me with expectation that God was going to do something in the nations and wanted to stir that up in your church. And so tonight is really, I'm excited, uh, in many ways, a step towards how could God send from Grace Church? And so, Johnny, when you mentioned earlier, you know, does God, what, what good could come from here? What if these kids that just went out the room, what if there's missionaries that just went out there? What if there's church planners that just went out uh, I noticed, I couldn't help but notice, because I have a four-month-old, that there's little Jonah over by the window. He's catching some sun. I heard this is the sunniest place in England, and I don't believe you guys. Um, but what if, what if he's a little missionary one day? What does God want to send out from here? And to me, it's incredible to see white hair and three-year-olds in the same room, to see generational blessing that can only happen in the family of God. Um, I'm the product of my grandmother's prayers, and many of these kids will be as well. Many of you are the product of your grandmother's prayers, and so on and so forth. And so we're a part of a big family, and it's a messy family, amen? Amen. So we're going to talk some family mess. We're also going to look at our king, and we're going to celebrate that. And so we're going to be in one of, I think, one of the most fun passages theologically. So go ahead and turn to Matthew 17, and we're going to sit there together and and continue in this series on Matthew, Um, but we are going to really unpack what it means to have Jesus reveal himself to us. And as, uh, I believe, was it Isla? Is that you? Isles? Isles? Where's that name from? That's amazing. Wales. I've never heard that before in my life. If you can't tell, I'm not from the UK. Uh, I'm from Texas. Uh, But the words you gave, and then the Isaiah 55 it's almost like the Holy Spirit is orchestrating the service. I was like, hey, that's what I'm supposed to say. So that's very cool to see. But this weight of glory is not a heavy weight. It's a weight that we can't hold. If we could hold it, it would be heavy. But it's the weight of glory of who Jesus is, this heaviness, because of the reality of who he is, right? It causes us, it should cause us to fall on our faces. It should cause us to worship. It should cause us to say, I am not God and he is. I must decrease, he must increase. And so when we look at the word of God, that that should be our approach. And I do pray that you would have expectation because you're simply meeting with God. Not because I'm here. Not because you're even worshiping with speakers and you're here with, there's guitars, all that. Not that. You're meeting with God today. And in the story we'll look at, Peter, James, and John, they're walking with Jesus up a mountain to meet with God, but they don't realize they're walking up the mountain with God. 
and they realize walking down the mountain that they're with God and that they've been with him for the last few years. And so I pray that when you walk out of this school today, you would know that you've been with God and that he goes with you. And so that's, that's kind of my, my prayer for us. I'm going to share a few things just so you know a little bit about who we are and why is this guy from Texas at our church today, and why does that matter at all? Um, this is my beautiful wife, Laura, who smiles for both of us. That's the agreement we worked out when we got married. It's great, um, but that's something that she is just beaming with joy and love her. And she was supposed to be with you today, but our four-month-old, Jack, who was uh, setting records for weight. He was nine kgs at three months. So mamas, you just do the math on that. And so uh, he is at home and she's at home. And our daughter, Lucy, that's a little bit of an old picture. Um, They're at home today, but would love to have been with you. Um, This is on our way to Morocco. We stopped at Windsor. There's a lot of stories within that. But we really thought we were going to be missionaries in North Africa. And God rerouted us to London through what felt like a chance meeting, um, but was a, supposed to be a 30-minute coffee with Guy Miller. Some of you know him. It turned into a three-and-a-half-hour coffee, and he was crying and saying, I feel like this is a holy moment for you and your family. And he, he made the best job offer ever. He said, we don't have any money, we don't have a job description, but we need you. Can you raise support and come? And we prayed, and there was a lot of God moments between then and where I am today, where he's provided for us to come and hopefully uh, plant a church out of Westminster Chapel to reach Muslims in London and to send with commission to the nations. And so we're coming with the expectation that some of those kids really will be missionaries, and that's why God rerouted our family here. And so we're with you with expectation, saying that God is going to move. Um, I just like this picture of my wife, and so I want to share it with you because it's fun. Um, But that's her and Lucy, and that was our first time all together in Hyde Park. We, again, we we were on our way to look at houses, do language school in Casablanca. We had no idea what was happening, and God rerouting us, and that's just joy. And then uh, this is one of my favorite pictures. This is of us in the Middle East, and I just want you to look right down at the bottom of the screen right there. And how fun is that? I'm going to frame this picture and put it on Lucy's wall. She's about 18 months right there. And parents, I know that warms your heart, and you're like, yeah, that's great right there, but wait till she's six. Wait till she's 10, right? (laughs) 14, yeah. That's where we need to put it up there. But there's a beauty of innocence of joining in with your father's business, right? That we get to enter into our father and our mother's business and what they're about and what they're doing. And that's all she's doing right there. She had just seen us lay hands on people so many times, she thought, that's what I'm supposed to do. And so that's what we're entering into. And no matter how old you are, how young you are in here today, let's enter into our Father's work. Um, I'm I'm really excited to be with you. Also because I think as we worshiped right here, there was a desire for more. I know when Johnny got up and got the mic right there, I was like, no, don't say anything. Let's just keep worshiping. Why do we have to do announcements? Why do we have to do this? Like, let's just... Just keep worshiping. I don't need to preach. Just keep going. Because there's something we're feeling where God's kind of unlocking something in all of us. And so I'm excited to see what he does with us in that, okay? And so let's go to Matthew 17 and look here together. And and, and what we see here in the context of this is that 
This is the big transfiguration. This is the moment where Jesus reveals himself as God to these guys he's been doing life with. So it's a big moment. This is really one of the most historical moments in, in history. I mean, really. This is God himself saying, I'm God. Look at me. And up until this point, Jesus has veiled himself even from those closest to him. But what happened just the chapter before in Matthew 16 is that Peter confesses that you are the Christ. You are the one. And Jesus is really excited about that. He's like, who's revealed this to you? But only God. And he's so excited that this has been revealed to them. So Matthew 17, verse 1, there's this expectation of who Jesus is in a fresh way, and he's going to confirm that for these guys right here. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Oops, how do we go backwards there? There you go. Peter, James, and, his, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now that would be enough to have a sermon on, right? That's enough right there to say, wait a minute, Jesus' face became a light bulb, and we have to do something about this. This isn't something you just read over, right? There's something going on here. But there is something we have to unpack. He's walking up a mountain with them, and this is one of the moments where the Old Testament and the New Testament come together and really lock in place. This is probably the best hinge moment other than the cross in the whole of the Bible. He was transfigured before them. What does it mean to be transfigured? It literally just means to be transformed, but it's an active verb in the Greek. It's to be transformed. It's not past tense where we have transfigured, where it's in the past. It's that he's in front of them and he's continuing to be transformed. It's not like the veil was taken away and that's what he looks like. It's No, he's revealing himself and it's like they can't take it. He's continuing to be revealed. And we see that he's distinct from Moses and Elijah. Now, hold up. Don't read over that. Dudes just appeared out of nowhere, okay? Is that, does that weird you out? Or is this just the everyday experience that happens to you? You show up at the pub, two guys walk through the wall. No problems, right? <laughs> like, why do we read this and we're like, yeah, that's, yeah, Elijah and Moses appeared. Elijah and Moses appeared. What are you going to do with that? Do you believe this? Do you believe this actually happened? We, you have to answer that this morning. Because if you say you believe in Jesus and you say you believe God's word, you're believing that two dudes showed up out of nowhere. Are you with me? This is a supernatural thing. Supernatural means not normal, not natural. It does not happen in the natural world. Do you know that your faith is supernatural? Do you know that this isn't just like You show up to church, you read a book, you feel good about yourself, you go home. You tasted a bit of it with worship. Nobody knew what to do. Johnny rightly got up and said, I think I need to say something to lead these people. The Holy Spirit's doing something. There's something happening that you can't explain. Nobody had words. Hey, let's wait. That was the wisest thing Johnny could say. (laughs) Let's wait because God's doing something. And I don't want to get in the way. That's what he was doing. That's wisdom. Right here, we see not only is Peter going to get in the way, but also, what would you do if you were in this moment? 
you walk up a mountain with Jesus and he turns into a light bulb and Moses and Elijah appear. What would you do? You would probably do what they end up doing of falling on their faces. Terrified. And we'll look at why they're terrified. He transfigures before them. His face shone like the sun. We'll come back to that. That's really important for us to understand. And his clothes became white as light. And he appeared to them, Moses and Elijah. He's now having a conversation. It's not like a hologram shows up of Moses and Elijah. He's talking to Moses and Elijah. This today, the transfiguration, should shape our Christology. That means what we know, what we study of Jesus. It should shape our understanding and our view of King Jesus. Your series in Matthew is the king we need. This is him declaring that he's king, that he is Jesus. His face shone like the sun and not the moon. Why is that important? When Moses came down from meeting with God on Mount Sinai, his face was a reflection of God, like the moon. Now, why is that in there? Well, if Moses is meeting with God, and he has a reflection of light, but the light is not coming from him, this gets really good, okay? This is fun. This is exciting. This is the gospel, okay? Jesus is not reflecting like the moon. When you look up at the night sky, and I'm sure if you go down to the beach, it's not far from here, and you look at the moon, and on a clear night in the summer, it's shining out, and a full moon over the water is beautiful, right? But that's not the real light. It's the reflection of the sun hitting the moon, right? We all know that. We understand that. So when Jesus appears and his face signs like the sun, don't read over that. What is that declaring? He is the light of the world. He is God. Because in the Old Testament, when Moses meets with God, his face reflects like the moon. And now we're seeing this moment where Moses is standing next to Jesus. He's clearly not Jesus. And so this Messiah the entire world has been waiting for says, hey, let me unveil this for you boys. Check this out. I'm right here. I'm God. Do you feel it? Wait a minute. We're expecting the best thing we've ever heard of in our whole history as a people is this reflection of maybe if I can meet with God, I'll see just a reflection of him. And the people, it says, couldn't even look at Moses. But now here's Jesus unveiling himself in glory. Now this is huge. God himself is with them. And, and this should make us shake in a way. It should make us go, whoa, this is real. But what it also shows us is that God in his mercy has veiled himself into the right time because they could not have handled it yet. See, in the Old Testament, if people encountered God's presence, what happened to them? They died. He is holy. He is God. He is perfect in all his ways. And when you see the, the cloud of glory go before them, and you think of the Israelites, and we can, we can just pass over this and not really connect it, but it's important. If you remember how God led Israel through the wilderness, he had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. It's the presence of God. And we'll see in this passage that they're actually covered by a cloud. 
cloud, and I would argue the same cloud, because it's God. And this whole beholding him and seeing his face is really how we are supposed to see the Lord. I would guarantee you that all of us driving here today do not see Jesus the way we're supposed to. We don't see Jesus for who he really is. We see pieces of Jesus. We see Jesus as friend, as king, as Lord, as Savior. We can't handle all of Jesus at once. You and I don't have a word to say, this is what I think of Jesus, and that covers everything. He's Jesus. He's indescribable. He's that good. But when we look at him, we are then filled with fear or joy or freedom. There's so many words. We can't describe it. So what do they do? They fall on their faces. Another passage I want to show you on this is actually Paul talking about the revelation of Christ. And as he talks about the revelation of Christ, we see this. We've seen that he wants people to understand the seeing or the eye contact with God. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, Paul reminds the church in Corinth this, and I think it's a reminder for us. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, you might be saying, Adam, why are you putting this right here? Paul is saying, you're going to look like Jesus one day. And I would challenge you, because you're probably walking in holding sin, shame, guilt, saying, there's no way I'm going to look like Jesus. The same Jesus whose face shines in such a way that they fall on their faces, Paul is saying, you're being shaped to look more like the image of Christ one day to the next that that should be our aim, is to look and live like Jesus and with unveiled face. Now, what he's saying there is that the Jews would have to read with their faces veiled when they're reading the Word of God. But when Jesus dies on the cross, what does he do? He breaks the veil and tears it so that we might have access to God. This is what he's done for us. Jesus is continuing to reveal himself today we're going to talk about this a lot more tonight, if, you, if you're coming tonight. But I want to share a quick uh, story with you to really just encourage you that God is still moving and He is still revealing Himself. And this will challenge your theology. It has challenged mine, but I was there, and I can't deny what I saw, heard, and experienced. Uh, I've been privileged to go a lot of places to share the gospel in places that are considered unreached, where there's people who have never heard the gospel. And when you share the gospel with people who've never heard the gospel, things just happen because God wants to break into those places and take back ground for himself. Um, we would have some crazy times where really the whole thing's just baked in prayer. We would pray as teams uh, for like two, three hours in the morning to ask God, what are we supposed to do that day? I mean, we're showing up with teams of people saying, hey, what do we do? And so one of those trips, one of those times, we're in North Africa, and we are praying that morning. We're saying, God, would you give us people to go and share this good news with? And our hope was to share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus, and if people were interested, we would then hand them off relationally to the long-term missionaries. 
And so one of those days, uh, I'm going out with a guy who's 19 with blonde hair and blue eyes, and another guy who's 58 years old and a great-grandfather. 58-year-old great-grandfather. You with me there? Okay. He met Jesus in a federal penitentiary, which is like a maximum security prison. And his testimony, God bless him, I love Kenny to death, is that Jesus appeared to him in his jail cell, okay? And so we meet uh, some people on the street, we try to share the gospel with them, we're trying to pray with them, and we run into these two teenage-looking guys, and one of them speaks great English, and we're like, oh, this is cool, and then he really wants to talk to us. This is great, and his name is Jack, and Jack is half British and half Moroccan, and his family is broken. His dad is a British atheist. His mom is a, uh, of Muslim background in Morocco. And Jack starts to explain to this what he thinks about God. He's an atheist too. And he does say, hey, let's, let's go get some food. Well, Jack's friend is, uh, let's just put it kindly, he's high as a kite, okay? And so he's kind of our comedic relief in this moment. And so we walk with Jack to the coolest place they could think of, which was McDonald's, okay? <laughs> And so we go to McDonald's, me, uh, Cody, who's 19, blonde hair, blue eyes, Kenny, 58-year-old, great-grandfather, Jack, who's 18, and this other guy, we still don't know how old he is or what his name is and what planet he was on, okay? And so we walk into McDonald's, and we start sharing stories. And Kenny's one of those people, I mean, he met Jesus in prison, so you can't really harness his testimony. If he's just going to be himself, he's... Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Amen? That's Kenny, to a T. And Kenny gets up, and he starts sharing his testimony about Jesus showing up in a jail cell in a McDonald's in North Africa. Do you think we got a few listeners going on, okay? We stuck out pretty bad. And he's sharing this with him, and then the Holy Spirit does something that I still can't explain. It just kind of hits me in the back of the head. And I ask Jack, I say, Jack, if Jesus showed up to you in your room tonight, would you follow him? Great thing to say, right? Put, put God to the test. Jack says, of course I would follow him. If God showed up in my room, and he's, he's good, and he's, he's holy, and he's, he's saying things that a Muslim would say, then I would follow him. And I said, why don't you pray right now in McDonald's, Jack, that, that, Jack, that Jesus shows up in your room? And I did not know it was about to happen. I was like, oh my God, like literally, my God, what have I done? What is about to happen? And he starts praying. And what we would maybe call a sinner's prayer, he starts saying things like, I know I'm not good enough, but would you forgive me for this? I don't know what to do. I don't do enough for you. But if you could, would you just show up? And it's this weird, broken prayer in the middle of McDonald's. And we say, all right, Jack, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll meet up, and we'll, we'll see, you know, how you're doing. But we've got to go meet other people, and we're on this team of people, uh, a, a mission team, which you think of. And so we meet up the next day, and Jack wants to show me something on, on his roof. And I'm, like, excited to see him. He's excited to me. He hugs me, and he's excited. And, and so we walk up what would be like 10 flights of concrete stairs, get to the rooftop, and he wants to talk to me and tell me what has happened to him where other people can't hear. And so we get up to the top of the roof, and I've got my hands on my knees like this, and I'm out of shape. 
And I'm like breathing and everything like that. And he's like, I met Jesus last night. And I'm like, that's great, Jack. I'm so glad you met Jesus last night. That's good. And he's like, no, I, I met Jesus last night. And I was like, okay, what? Wait, what? He's like, you know how we prayed at the McDonald's? And you said if, if I prayed and if, if I asked him to show up and he showed up, I would follow him. So I'll follow him because he showed up in my room. I thought it was a shadow from a light on my, like my Coke bottle. And then he came out of the wall and he started talking to me. And he talked to me from like 12 o'clock till 4 in the morning. He told me that he loves me. He told me that I'm part of his family, that he'll give me a new family. And he starts to basically quote scripture at me. And I'm just totally floored. And my theology and all my church background is just blocking what is happening right now. Does it, did Jesus show up? Does he disciple me? Do I disciple him? What is happening, right? And so we're, we're in this moment of, okay, I think, I think God did this. I don't know, but I trust you, Jesus. You've revealed yourself. What do you want to do with this? And we, you know, in our, our little faith, my little faith, I'm like asking the rest of the team to pray. Like, how do we approach this? We're talking to the long-term missionary. And we had a girl um, who was in her 20s in college or uni, as you call it. And uh, that morning she had prayed, and she was the most shy person on our team. And she said, God keeps giving me a picture of like a leopard skin, like a leopard print somewhere. And I'm supposed to share the gospel with somebody who, who's got this kind of connection. And she's just very quiet. She tells us this. And so we, we tell the rest of the team that Jack has invited us to dinner at his house to meet his mom and his sister. And the dad has left the family. And so we decide, let's bring the 58-year-old great-grandfather his wife was there. Let's bring her. Let's bring one of the long-term people. And let's bring this college girl who had this prophetic picture and see what God wants to do with that. And so we show up at the house, and we're getting our, our mint tea, and they're telling us. And then Jack tells the story to his mom and his sister of what happened the night before. And I'm like, is she going to call somebody? Is she going to kick us out? Well, she's excited. She wants to hear more. I'm like, you're kidding me. This never happened. She's been having dreams. She's thinking about this stuff. We walk into the little sister's room. The college girl does. What do you think her blanket was? Leopard print fleece blanket. She shares the gospel with the little sister. We then pray with the family. The long-term people follow up. They start to share the gospel. They follow Jesus. All that was from us just showing up, doing a horrible job of sharing what you would say a good gospel presentation, saying, hey, if Jesus shows up, will you follow him? Jesus is showing up. Jesus is going places we could never go. He's meeting people in ways we would have never thought. Hey, let's go. Our strategy is to go tell people to pray for Jesus to show up in their room at night. That would be a pretty bold strategy. We never did that. Jesus did all of that. They went through persecution. Jack was essentially kicked out of his extended family. The gospel continues to go forward there. What we see is that Jesus reveals himself so that we might know him because he loves us. He has revealed himself to you so that you know that he loves you. What you experience during worship is part of Jesus revealing himself 
to you. Just because you've grown up in a Christian background, just because you've grown up in the church, maybe even for generations, it's because Jesus loves you. He reveals himself to his kids, to us, to you and me. He has revealed himself with a purpose. He has shown you his glory for a reason. And he does it graciously and kindly. And, and what I want us to see with this moment of the transfiguration is that he does it in a way that blesses not only the people there, but others as well. Look at Matthew 17, 4 through 8. And Peter said to Jesus, It is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Don't read over that. There's so much in that. You could literally spend weeks on this. But what I want you to see is that this presence of God has come. He's come to meet with them. And he's come to give authority to Jesus. And what Jesus then does later as he dies, rises from the dead, is he says, go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. What Jesus does with his authority that he's given from the Father is he actually gives it freely. That's who he is. And we see the Old Testament presence of Jesus. We talked about the cloud. When people encountered God's presence, whether it was in the temple or tabernacle, even the priest, if he was with sin, he would die. And yet we see them being covered and overshadowed. This is really important for us to see. If you look at verse 4, why does Peter say, hey, let's build three little houses? Why does he say, let's build three tents? If you translate that word, it actually means tabernacles, not tents. Tabernacles are places where God's presence would dwell, that we would know that God is covering and he is actually in there. Not to protect God from us, no, to protect us from God because we couldn't be in his presence because he's holy. What Jesus does, though, is that he shows them that he is God. You see, in Peter's Jewish mind, he's saying, we need to protect ourselves from the presence of God. We can't touch these guys. If Moses and Elijah and Jesus are here, we need to kind of box them. Do you ever box God? We all do. We all put them in a box and we say, oh, God can't do that. I've never seen it before. Do you believe in the transfiguration? You've never seen it. Do I believe when Jack tells me he met Jesus? I wasn't there. But do I believe and I see the fruit and the testimony of that? Yes, those things help me, but it's by faith that we believe. And yet Jesus, by faith, for us, is giving us faith by saying, rise, have no fear. You don't have to be afraid that my presence is going to kill you. I've actually come to set you free. And we see them fall on their faces because they think they're going to die because they're in the presence of God. And how do we know they know it's God? Well, when he's, he's got the three-tent idea, the tabernacle idea, we see this with Peter. 
and we see the transition between these two verses is when God speaks out of the cloud. When God speaks, things happen. When God speaks to us, things should happen. When God speaks here, and he says, this is my beloved son, and we saw in Matthew 3, if you're in this series with us, you saw that the baptism moment, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But what happens? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased, period. Here we have, this is my son and and my beloved son, I'm well pleased, listen to him. Luke 9 says, obey him. It's time. It's game time. All this waiting where Jesus says, you know, don't tell anybody. I always thought that was weird until I thought, no, this is God's perfect timing. And then why were they afraid? They're afraid because they're in his presence. They understand who Jesus really is. And this is so important to realize that he is the son of the living God, and that God is alive. We get to be in his presence. When we look at the sonship of Jesus, look at verse 5 right there. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We're also getting God the Father saying this is King Jesus. Now, what does a king need to be a king? You guys are much more familiar with kings and queens than we are, okay? That's a foreign concept to us. Literally foreign, Okay. Uh, The the king is on your currency. The queen was on the currency, right? There's an identity that you're actually subjects to the crown, not just citizens of a republic. You're subjects to and under an authority, which is a good picture of what God is to us, that we're subject to him and the truth of him. But here we see that it's the father saying, this is my son, obey him. It's almost as if he's crowning Jesus. This is him. This is the one you've been waiting for. And so we must decide, are we going to subject ourselves to his authority? Now, a king has to have land. A king has to have a people. A king has to rule. Do you see all the things that a king must have? Jesus is getting these things for himself. These are also all the exact same things that Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. You make that connection? He says, you can have this land, you can rule over these people, you can do this. He said, you can be this little king if only you bow down to me. Now, what happened at the transfiguration? They're falling on their faces, bowing to Jesus. Moses and Elijah aren't there. And so when they look up, they're all bowing down. Who's the only one standing? The king. This is the kind of God we serve. Peter, in in, uh, 2 Peter, says this, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. And you just imagine a man 30, 40 years after that moment of his life writing this because he spent his entire life proving to other people, hey, this really happened. This is what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. He's talking about the glory cloud at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is part of Peter's testimony. Guys, I remember when Jesus' face was unveiled and the cloud covers, and guess what? We didn't die, and we walked down the mountain, and we knew we were with God. After Matthew 17, you never see them question if Jesus is God again. You never see them question that. But yet they still sin. 
They've encountered his presence, yet they betray him. They've encountered and know that he is God. Not just like a good teacher. They know he's God, and they still desert him on the cross. We've been around Jesus a lot. You guys, I know many of you have been in the faith for a while. You will fall. You will fail, even though you know who he is. And yet your king is good enough to come back to you and redeem you again, to pick you up again. And that's what he does. And so Peter's begging them in, in 2 Peter to listen and obey this king. Hey, guys, I know he's really the king. And so we must do that. We must uh, and here's three reasons why we must listen and obey our King Jesus. Because of who he is, the beloved son of God. Because of what he says, he is the light of the world. He gives rest. He calls sinners to repentance. He's the only way to the Father. Number three, because of what he has done. I think we've got a slide for that. If we can get there. If we go over... It's not working. There we go. Right there. It's perfect. This is the king that we get to follow, that we get to listen to. Uh, my three-year-old princess named Lucy is my princess. She, she can do whatever she wants, if we're honest, right? She's, she's got daddy's heart. But we're teaching her, listen and obey. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. What do we do, Lucy? We listen we don't just listen, we listen and obey. Do we see that a king is worthy of listening to? If you're honest, a lot of us have listened to God for a long time. In fact, some of you are in here, and you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, but you keep listening to good teaching, you like being a part of a good community, and you've been listening. But God's telling you to obey. He's saying, you've been around these people, you've been around the faith, it's time for you to choose. Who are you going to walk down the mountain with? Are you going to deny what you just saw on top of the mountain? Or are you going to follow me? And Jesus is giving you a fresh opportunity to, today, literally, like right now, to say, I want to obey you. I want to listen and obey. I know you are the Son of God. And I want to step into that. I want to know you are who you say you are. If we go down to Matthew 17, 9 through 13, we close with this. And it's really the fulfillment of Christ. We see that he's fulfilled all things. And we'll jump to here together. And it says, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Again, this is right before Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? He answered, it's, it's like they're, they've just had all their eyes open and saying, wait, we just saw Elijah. What was this? We're trying to put all this together. He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. He's prophesying and saying that he's about to die. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist, the one who came to proclaim this good news and was rejected by men. So Jesus is the greater Elijah. He is the greater Moses. He not only 
gave Moses the law, he is the fulfillment of the law. Not only is Jesus showing them signs and wonders and is the greater prophet, he is the fulfillment of all prophecy. Do you see that? He's all the prophets of the Old Testament, all the law, he is fulfilling it. Only Jesus is left standing and they worship him. Our king is worthy of praise. And as you're, you're thinking of what you might have done if you're on the mountain, and it's easy to say, I'd fall on my face and I'd worship him just like they did. That's easy for us to say. But what do we do when we go back down the mountain? What happens after you encounter Jesus? Are you going to encounter Jesus and just be done with him? Say, man, that was a great, I heard a great story. You know, I was on top of a mountain. I saw God. It was good. Can you imagine if Peter lived like that the rest of his life? He knows too much to go back to the way he lived before. See, many of us have been on mountaintop experiences with God, with the Holy Spirit, and we act like we go back to our old lives. And yet, I would tell you right now, you know too much to go back to the way life was. You've experienced too much. When I met with Jack and I saw the reality of him telling the truth face to face with me, that he met with Jesus, I'm like, wait, this actually happened. What do I do with this? I tell about Jesus. It changes my life. It should shape your life. When I was 19, I, I uh, was a pastor's kid, grew up in the church, all this stuff, had rejected God at different moments, and then I'm diagnosed with bone cancer. What do I do with that? I've, I've seen God heal people. I've seen him you know, really raise people up. I've seen all the kinds of crazy stuff. But then I'm 19, I'm like, God, what are you going to do for me? Oh, you're meeting me in this moment. The intimacy of what we consider suffering on earth is the mountaintop moment. When you're broken right now and you don't know where to go and your relationships are shattered and you're saying, God, where am I? Where are you? What is going on? Why don't you heal my marriage? Why did I lose that job? Jesus is saying, I'm right here. You're actually on the mountaintop. Doesn't feel like it, but this is an upside down kingdom because 10,000 years from now, you will see what I was doing right now. See, it's easy for many of us to say Jesus is king. And he's, he's out there because kings are far away from us, if you're honest. But for some of you today, you've heard, all right, Jesus is amazing. He's shining like a light bulb. I have no idea how to connect with him. And I would tell you this, Jesus is your king, but he's your friend. And for some of you, it's easy to see him as friend. But I would say there's somebody in here today, I, I pray... I believe this is for several people. Jesus is your advocate. You might see him as friend. Hey, we're buddies. Hey, he's king. He's way up there. Jesus is advocating for you. The people that have accused you, Jesus is going to answer that. Do you see that? He's the one standing between you and God. And it says in the word of God, and we really believe this, that when God looks at us, he will see Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Didn't we just say Jesus' face shone like the sun? Didn't Paul say that we're going to look more like him as we get closer and closer to glory? So for those of you that have been in the faith for a long time, just answer this. Do you believe that you will be glorified one day with him? Do you believe that you'll look like Jesus? Not the face you see when you look in the mirror. Praise God, I'm not going to have this face for 10,000 years. But 
I don't look like Jesus? That when God looks at me, he doesn't see my impurity and my sin and my wickedness and my selfishness, but he sees Jesus. That should feel like that weighted blanket. That should feel heavy because you can't do it. That's Jesus giving his life and filling you with his spirit, sealing you with his spirit. And so how do we respond to this? Well, worship guys, if you want to come up, we'll pray into this and worship into this as well. I really believe we need to know who he is. Part of the transfiguration is knowing who he is. Knowing that we get to see him, we get to look upon him, and that when we look upon the face of Jesus, we know that he's king. God has spoken. This is my son. Obey him. We get to listen and obey. We receive from the king. You have a new identity. You are safe in God's presence. That he is telling you, rise, do not fear. Uh, you're with me. You're safe. You're not going to die in my presence. Honor him in all you do. If, if this life is so short, and you're going to, every single one of us is going to die. We know that, right? And we're going to be with him in 10,000 years, and for 10,000 years, and 10,000 years after that. Shouldn't we live like that? Doesn't that make life a lot easier? It's kind of like, hey, we're, we're here for just a little bit. It's just a baby. Wouldn't it be so nice if Christians live like that? Wouldn't it be nice if you lived as if you're going to look like Jesus one day? Instead of sad about how you look in the mirror right now? I mean, let's rejoice. Guys, this is quick. I know that I'm going to be with him forever. I knew the day I was diagnosed at 19, it was the best feeling. I looked at the doctor and said, so I'm going to die? And he said, well, yeah, at some point. I had a 20% chance to live. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Only Christians can be excited about cancer. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with a God that is worthy, who has revealed himself to us. You and I would not have written the story of the Bible the way it's written. No storyteller could have come up with, yeah, I'm going to create the world and send my only begotten son to die so that they might have life. Only God would do that because he loves you that much. Let's pray. Jesus, we remember that you are worthy of our praise. We, we feel a weight this morning that we can't deny. It was in worship. It's, it's your presence. And we get to be in your presence. And you tell us, rise, do not fear. Rise, do not fear. You can be in my presence. You will not die because I'm here now. Things have changed. This is a new day. So we have the light of the gospel in you. We have the hope of the gospel in you. Lord, I pray right now that this weight would be inescapable for people that have been really on the border with you, God. They've been on the fence. I pray for somebody in this room there might be several. Maybe they're calling themselves a Christian for the first time after today. Would you bring closure to the questions that they've had? Would you show them that you have revealed yourself to them? 
And so I pray for salvation today. Whether that's one person or multiple people, God. And so I pray right now for those people who really believe with expectation somebody's taking a step closer to you. Would you draw them close? Would you remove the excuses? Would you show them that the pain they've experienced, that you were there, you're with them, you will not forsake them, and that you are a king that is worthy to live their lives for, God. We pray for salvation in this room. I pray for the parents in this room, God, to share the gospel boldly with their kids, even this week, God. To not wait. Don't settle. Don't be like the rest of the world. I pray for boldness in their parenting, God, that they would share the gospel and set their kids apart from the rest of the world. Give them joy in letting their kids look more like Jesus. That this world is fleeting and it's not worth it and they don't have to measure up to other parents or other families. They want their kids to look like you, Jesus. I pray for boldness in them. Would we listen and obey as children to a king that is worthy? And would we anticipate being with you forever? Just right where you are, if you want to just pray and ask Jesus to show himself to you fresh. We prayed that earlier today, and I think it's appropriate to pray it again. If you want to take a posture of standing or kneeling or whatever that is in this first song, I would encourage you to take a, a posture and just say, God, reveal yourself to me. You see that Peter, James, and John, they fell on their faces. If that's you and you want to fall on your face, just in this moment, would encourage you to do that. Just ask to see him. Would you show me your face, Jesus? Would you see the glory and the goodness? Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We worship you.